All right, good morning again. You don't have to say anything, it's okay. I have an exciting, exciting update for you. Yes, woo, thank you. We are holding in, or I, I am holding in my hands building permits. Do you know what that means? So for some of you that have just been here a few weeks, you have no idea what we're talking about, but we started a building program like 17 years ago, which is weird because our church is only 11 years old. And we had some delays, we had some problems with the architectural plans, and then we had to get a new set of plans, and we finally got the new plans, and then we had a hard time finding a builder, because we're kind of in that in-between size of the project where we're too big for home builders and too small for a lot of commercial builders. Finally found a builder, and now we've got permits. And that means the city has said, you can move forward, okay? So what's going to happen is sometime in the next few weeks... We never really, you know, feel like we can count on a date for sure, but sometime in the next few weeks, you're going to show up to church and you won't be able to walk in the front door. So what we're going to do is we're going to build on to the front here. Uh, We found out over the years that when our church is full, we don't have enough nursery space to match the number of people that are sitting in here. And so we're adding a couple of nursery rooms, we're adding a foyer, and ladies, get this, we're adding bathrooms. Yeah. I've told you, I think I said this the other day, I was talking to my sister, somehow the building plan came up, I was, you know, she was asking me how she could pray for me, I was like, well, you know, building delays, blah, 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 bathrooms are going to be part of that, and she's like, oh, that's great, she says, y'all have the worst female bathroom situation of any public place I've ever been in my whole life. I was like, oh, wow, I feel extra bad now, so anyway, we're going to try to remedy that, we're going to have a little patio porch place to hang out, a foyer. Uh, some mixed-use space. The goal, as, as you pray for us moving forward, the goal is that that would help us to gather and encourage each other in our relationship with Christ and reach our city with the good news of Christ. So that is the goal. And would you pray for us? Because building programs can be a big distraction. So this is an opportunity for us to get off mission, or it could be an opportunity for us to, to dig deeper into what God has called us to do. So pray that the Lord would use this as an opportunity for us to rally around each other, to be unified, um, to endure a little confusion and difficulty for the sake of the mission of loving Jesus and uh, leading other people to love him as well. So you won't be able to walk in the front door, probably not next week, but sometime in the next few weeks, we'll have you all walking around the side to the back. So there's a breezeway. You can see through the glass doors in the back. There's a little breezeway between our buildings. That'll be our entrance for a while while the construction is happening. And then when it's done, everything will be awesome. We will grow larger and more powerful and take over the city. So that's, that's the goal. I'll pray for that. Just kidding. We're finishing Romans today. So we're in Romans part three. We've been in Romans for about a year. Spent 11 months preaching through Romans. It's been fantastic. I've grown more attached to this letter in the Bible. Already loved it, but have really grown to love it and appreciate it even more. Uh, And so we're going to be ending with chapter 16. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab a Bible from underneath the chairs. There's some black Bibles. We'll be on page 950. Page 950 in the black Bibles. It's Romans chapter 16. And we're calling it this week, Gospel A to Z. Gospel A to Z. Paul began with the gospel. Paul said in chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And now he's ending with the gospel. He's telling us, this is the whole reason I wrote this letter, so that we're all clear on the gospel. And he said last week, we saw this in chapter 15, I'm reminding those of you that know the gospel already, because we all need the gospel more, right? And so we're calling it gospel A to Z, and I got this from Tim Keller, who in his Galatians commentary says, we often believe that the gospel is just the ABCs of the Christian life, right? We think of the gospel, the good news, 
that we can have life in Jesus, that we can be forgiven of our sins, we think of that as the front door. We think of that as merely the way we enter into the Christian life, which it is, but it's also what sustains us every day, the hope that God is for us, right? Don't enter through the door of the gospel and then start living by your own flesh. Don't enter through the hope of Jesus being for you and then the next day think, well, God hates me today unless I really get my stuff together. No, God loves you and delights in you because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And we live every day in the hope and the reality of that gospel. So it's a gospel A to Z, not just gospel A, B, Cs. We're going to read from chapter 16, starting in verse 25. We've got a lot of verses this week, uh, so I encourage you to go back and read more. I won't be able to go into super minute detail, but a lot of it is historical stuff that we frankly don't know a whole lot more detail about because he's talking to his friends in this closing. He's saying goodbye and sending greetings to some friends. So I'm going to read verse 25, and then as we move through the sermon, I'll back up and read some of the other verses as well. So starting in verse 25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul says, the glory goes to God. God is the one doing this. God is the one strengthening you, establishing you, saving you, disclosing this mystery, this beauty of the good news to you. And he's doing it by means of, according to the gospel, the proclaiming of Jesus as our only hope. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to ask the Lord to lead us in our time of studying the scriptures. And I just want to say again, I said this a little bit at the beginning, if you've watched the news at all, you've seen a society that's torn apart. And I would argue that part of that's just plain and simple evil and sin. But there's also a complex thing going on where in a world of brokenness, in a world of pain, we are tempted to hope in our tribe. We're tempted to hope in our race and to hope in our tradition rather than placing our hope on Jesus. And what Paul's going to remind us here is that the gospel is the hope of all nations. Gospel is the hope of all people, and that's what unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let me pray and ask the Lord to help us to live that out as a community. God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus being for us, and we pray that you'd help us to live in a new way because of it. We pray that this community, Grace Bible Church, and the other Christians in this city and in this nation, in this world, would be a picture of what it means to love each other despite our background and our race and our tradition and our language, that we would be one in Christ. We pray that you would be honored as you make that so, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want to point out as we move through this chapter is what the gospel does in our lives, and I'm going to start with this section in verses 1 through 16, and here I think we're going to see that the gospel creates community. So if you look at verses 1 through 16, you'll see many greetings. Paul's saying, say hello and give greetings and give a hug and give a kiss. And he's naming specific people. And so what we learn here is that Paul is in community with people because of the gospel. What's fascinating is as we read through this list, we see that the names are from multiple racial backgrounds. So these are Jews. These are non-Jews. These are Romans and Greeks and Africans and people from all different backgrounds. And he's saying, we're all connected not because we went to the same primary school. We're all connected because Jesus has saved us. And so he's knit our hearts together. 
So the gospel creates community. It makes us brothers and sisters, even if we weren't born into the same family. So we're going to start in verse 1. And Paul says here in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kincray, that you may welcome her in the Lord and in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Most uh, commentators think that Phoebe is kind of highlighted and given more information because she was actually the messenger bringing the letter. And so she's highlighted as this very important figure. She's called a servant or a deacon is the word. It's that Greek word diakonos, which can be translated deacon, minister, or servant. And so that word has a broad range of meaning. It can mean an official minister of the gospel, you know, that kind of officer sound to it, or it can just mean a servant. Um, And here, we can't be for sure exactly what he means, but it appears that he's saying, she is a co-worker with me. She's on my team. You can trust her. She's reliable. She's been faithful. Greet her with great greetings of honor. Honor her as a co-laborer in the Lord. See her as someone significant as she brings this letter. He also calls her a patron, right? And so she's like a supporter of the gospel work. Uh, Missionaries often have patrons, right? They have people that pray for them and support them and send them packages and Uh, send them money and help them in their ministry. And so Phoebe is probably one of these kinds of characters. We also see a parallel with Lydia. Lydia was this leader uh, in the early Philippian church. And it says that Lydia basically financed some of the work because she had a business and she had a big compound and she gave a a place to stay to the early workers that were planting the church in Philippi. We read about that in Acts chapter 16. So here we see Phoebe elevated. Uh, In our church, we hold to kind of a middle road position on gender, uh, where we would say there are two extremes. There's a feminist extreme that says males and females are no different at all, right? There's no difference, and you should never uh, encourage any difference. That's one extreme. And then there's a patriarchal kind of traditional extreme that says men are more important, and they're smarter and and better than females, right? And we would say both of those are missing it, right? Uh, We would say God has uniquely wired us and made us different, and has actually given us different roles. But Galatians is very clear, and the rest of the Scripture is clear. We are equal before God. We have equal value as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then God calls men and women to particular things. Sometimes he calls them to the same things, sometimes to unique things. In our church, we would teach what is called complementarianism, which means men and women are a complement to each other, which means we're equal before God, but we often have different roles. Specifically in the church, God has called men to lead as pastors and elders in the church, And God has called men to lead as husbands and fathers in the home. But that doesn't mean we think we're better than women. I've said often on this subject that we all know women are smarter than us, but God, for some reason, has called us to lead, right? And we need your help, women, and we honor the gifts that God has given you. We just think that's what the Scripture says. God says He wants us to lead, not because we're better, not because we're superior, but that's just the design that God has. He said He wants us to step out front and take the bullets and, and lead the charge, in a sense, in the home and in the church. But again, we have to see, but let's not fall off the deep end into some kind of patriarchal traditionalism. Here, Paul is repeatedly honoring women, saying women were important key members of my team. So we need to recognize that. Saying that men should pastor an elder in the church does not mean then women have no place. Women lead in all kinds of ways and are very valuable. And when you look at all the volunteers in our church, probably most of them are women. Most of the servant leaders of our church are women. So we thank God for you and we honor the position that God gives you. So here's Phoebe, one of these important women in the history of the church. And now he's going to go on, he's going to name a whole bunch of other people. And I'm going to spin through it really fast. 
Um, And what I want you to look for is I want you to look for the fact that Paul repeatedly says these people are the same because they're in Christ or in the Lord. And we're also going to see that these people are different because they have unique names and they have unique roles that they've played. So as brothers and sisters, this gospel community we have is we're the same in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we have different roles and different functions and different jobs, different names, different backgrounds. Verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, often called Priscilla and Aquila. I think Prisca was her kind of abbreviated name. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apenetus, who was uh, the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, they're well known among the apostles. They were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So, as I said before, if you tracked that, he was saying, worker in the Lord, servant in the Lord, fellow prisoner in the Lord, right? He's repeating that again and again. That's what unites us. So you see people yesterday protesting, saying that their race somehow makes them better than somebody else. What unites us as people is, first of all, that we're all broken. We're united in that none of us are good enough as we are. We're all sinners. We've all failed each other. And then what unites us is the grace that's offered to all of us. All of us in Christ can be restored. And so the vision that the Lord is taking us towards, the end of all things, is going to be in Revelation 5. And my notes here, I wrote down Revelation, it's 5 through 10, and it says this. They sang a new song around the throne, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. They're praising Jesus. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God's goal, what he is forming, is a multi-tribe people of God. One new man, as Ephesians says, out of the multiple tribes that have existed before. He's knitting us together as a new community. The gospel creates community. It gives us a new purpose to serve each other in love. So I hope you see that. We should be an alternative community that lives differently than the world does. The world places its hope in education and race and money and relationships. And we should say, you know what? I'm not going to hope in those things of the flesh. I'm going to hope in Jesus. Because of that, that frees me to not live selfishly and guarded and with hate, but to live freely and to give myself and to forgive other people and to love other people indiscriminately. So that, what, that is what God is, is calling us to. He's creating a, a new community. What about verse 16? Verse 16 might be making some of you uncomfortable. This is kind of a tribal racial issue in some ways. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, we, we know in a sense that all tribes, all races are equal before God. But we also know that there's this kind of cultural thing that happens when people cluster together in certain places and in certain 
family groups where they begin to practice different things. I come from a, a tribal background. Uh, sometimes people refer to it as being Anglo or white. And that means we're very uncomfortable with holy kisses, okay? Um, and so that's not true of every white person or every Anglo person, but just the tribe I was raised in. Uh, I heard this with several commentators. They said they would prefer it to be translated, greet each other with a holy handshake, right? Um, so we just have to admit here that there are some things that are somewhat culturally relative. I would translate this this way. I would say, Paul is saying, greet each other with physical affection. Show love, show affection to each other, but make sure it's holy. It's not like weird and creepy. And, and that can vary, right? That can vary from culture to culture. We were with some people in Malaysia saying goodbye to this lady we had spent the day with, uh, with some of our missionary friends, and she leaned over and gave me a kiss. And I was a little freaked out and like, oh, should I call my wife? I don't know what just happened here. Um, and that's happened to me before in other countries as well. It happened to me in Guatemala. Little grandmas, it didn't seem as weird with, the, with a little grandma kissing you. But still, you know, you're like, well, that's strange. I just met this woman and she just kissed me on the cheek. And it happened again and it happened again, right? And so we have to recognize that sometimes it's different in different cultures. Some cultures hug. Uh, there's been memes I've seen making fun of Christians because there's this kind of American Christian subculture of the holy side hug. Have you ever seen that before? It's like a front hug is too serious, but a side hug, that's holy. So you just have to recognize that you might need to pray that the Lord would give you Holy Spirit wisdom to know what's the appropriate affection. But I would say we need to show affection, whether it's a high five, a fist bump, a holy side hug, a holy kiss, whatever it might be. You, kinda, you can kind of navigate that, figure that out, culture to culture, neighborhood to neighborhood. It might be a little different, but we should greet each other with love. There should be hugging and maybe even kissing makes me uncomfortable, but there should be this kind of greeting and affection that we show to each other. And Paul says that's, that's part of being this gospel community. We're a new community and we treat each other as family, right? Say so a good line is what is normal is how you treat your brothers and sisters, right? I mean, unless you fight like cats and dogs, but, you know, but how you show love to your brothers and sisters, that's, that's the same kind of love we should show each other as family. It's not husband and wife love but it's brother and sister love. It's uncle and aunt love. We should greet and love and hug and show that kind of affection. So there's this new community that's been created here. It gives us a long laundry list of people. It was reminding me of just the diversity that God gives us and uh, different people groups are giving snapshots here. I don't know why I was going this direction, but I thought that reminds me of my yearbook, right? In my senior class, we had a lot of diversity. We had a lot of different kinds of people. We enjoyed different sports. Y'all are looking for my face, aren't you? Uh, Everybody's just fixated. I'm there. I am, I'm there. I look kind of the same, more curls, a little more mullet than I have now. So, all right, too long. <laughs> you can ask my mom next time she's at church. She carries around an old mullet picture of me just to show to people. So you can ask her and she'll show you that picture. Um, but the gospel creates this new, new community, right? And we're, we all look different. They have unique names. They have unique jobs. Some of them were co-prisoners, right? Some of them were co workers. Some of them had this, uh, his mom was like a mom to me relationship. They all had unique relationships. And I would say uh, an application that we could bring out of that is, are you thanking your friends for those kinds of roles that they play in your life? I think we see what Paul is doing here and we say, that's a good practice, right? To recognize real people and to say to your friends in your small group community uh, or in your family or in the ministry that you serve in, say, hey, Jane, I saw how you served that lady the other day in our ministry, that was so 
that was beautiful. I love how you did that, right? Or I love how you have this gift to do this, right? I really appreciate how you helped me out. Or I really appreciate how you were like a mom to me and you fed me in that really hard time when I was in college and I was struggling. You know, just verbalize those thanks. Verbalize those same kind of greetings that Paul is giving here. Paul's never been to Rome, but he's been blessed by individuals that are in Rome and he's naming them. And he's saying, thank you. Thank you for your ministry. Make sure you take the time to thank the people that have served with you, served you, helped you, walked alongside you. Verbalize that. You might even right now, if you, if you got a pen, just write down, you know, who's someone I've lost track of that I just need to thank for their ministry to me? Who's someone that had a big impact on me? I had this great opportunity to do that years ago. A pastor encouraged us to go back and, and thank people that had helped to lead us to the Lord. Uh, there was a guy that spoke at a Christian athletes camp I'd gone to, and he was paralyzed. And his joy was just supernatural. You know, I was feeling sorry for myself that I, I wasn't starting at the position I wanted because of a shoulder injury. And here's this guy who has supernatural joy and he can't move a muscle. And so I, I talked to that guy, I heard his testimony, he had a big impact on me. And I got to them 10 years later, call him up and just say, hey man, I just want to tell you thank you. I'm a youth pastor now and God's done a lot of good things in my life. And it started with you sharing the hope that you have in Jesus. Find those people and thank them. Say thank you. Encourage them in what God has done in their life. Moving on in the next section, we also have to see now that the gospel has enemies. The gospel has enemies, and that's very uncomfortable for us as a, as a people. The time in, in which we live is this time in which we're all supposed to get along, you know, like we're not supposed to have enemies. Uh, we see, uh, you know, scary things on TV where we see real hate. And so anything that kind of starts to sound like this in the scriptures, we're like, well, are they being haters or, or what is that there? I say, no, this is not people being haters, but this is a, a very real caution that we need to have. Throughout the scriptures, there's kind of two extremes, I think, that we can see in how we relate to people. One is we see the model of Jesus. He was a friend of sinners, right? He was a friend of sinners, and we should be a friend of sinners as well. If, you, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you don't have any pagan friends, you need to repent and start meeting some more pagan people, Right? Often what happens as we grow in our faith is we become more and more enmeshed in the Christian community, and we sadly become more isolated from non-believers. And God wants us to be salt and light in the world. He wants us to be a blessing to non-believers in the world. So make sure you have some non-Christian friends so that you can be like Jesus and be a friend of sinners. We also see, though, this weird dynamic where Jesus really got in some people's faces, right? He's really harsh with some people. And those are the people that said they were the people of God, but they hated people. They, they said they were the leaders and the teachers of the people of God, but they taught people that their hope was in their own strength instead of in God. And so we see that pattern in Jesus, friend of pagans, but he, he didn't really have any patience for people that pretended to be of God but weren't. And Paul is giving us the same warning. Let's look at verses 17 through 23. Verses 17 through 23, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. That sounds harsh, right? Verse 18, for, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. That was a camp song. Anybody remember that camp song? Great camp song. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then he gives some more greetings from the team that's with him, right? Earlier, he had the team uh, that were in Rome that he was thanking. 
and giving greetings to. Now he's saying, oh, and I got this team with me. He says in verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sassipater, my kinsman. Itertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Um, that doesn't mean that Paul didn't really write the letter. What that means in, is in the ancient world, there was always someone that had really nice handwriting that actually wrote it, right? So like we use computers today and there was people, there were people that were set aside because that was their skill and their gift. So Paul would dictate it and Tertius would write it. Verse 23 says, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you as well. So again, just seeing the diversity of Paul's team, seeing the different people that are serving together to love the Lord. But I want to back up a little bit and look at those verses about the warning, right? He gives this warning in verse 17. He says to watch out for these people. I appeal to you, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. So there will be people that want to come into the church, but their goal is not to love the church and to love Jesus. Their goal is actually to pull people away to follow them. We sometimes talk about these people as wolf in sheep's clothing. Grabbed a picture here of a wolf in a zippered sheep suit. I'm, I think this was photoshopped. I don't think this is actually real, okay? I just found it on the interwebs. Uh, but this is like a, a wolf dressing up and pretending to be a sheep. And we often hear this, you know, this kind of concept that we as God's people are his sheep. You know, going back to Psalm 23, we're the, the sheep of his pasture. He's shepherding us and taking care of us. Well, there will be wolves that come in. And their whole point is not to be a sheep with you, not to really be your brother and sister, but to be, pretend they're your brother and sister long enough so that they can eat you and kill you, okay? So as a shepherd's job, pastor, the elders of the church, our job is to watch out over the sheep and to, to feed the sheep, right? To lead you to Jesus. But our job is also to, to drive out the wolves, to say, no, you're not, you're not gonna do that here. You're telling people that Jesus is not enough. Well, you, we're not gonna let you do that here because our goal here, we're gathering here to say our hope is in Jesus, so when people come in and say, yeah, I'm on board, but then they start trying to peel people off, take the weak ones and say, well, Jesus is great, but you really need all these other tips and tricks if you really want God to love you. And we would say, no, no, that's not okay. That's not going to be allowed here. Um, I remember when we first planted the church, I was terrified that this would happen, right? I was terrified that there would be wolves that would come in. I was so worried about it. And I thought if I do everything just right, maybe we could do things just right so that no wolves would come in. One time I was reading Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is advising the elders and the shepherds of the Ephesian church. And in Acts chapter 20, he says, be on your guard because wolves will rise up. Wolves will come. And that was kind of a relief. I know this sounds weird, but I was like, okay, Paul, he's like super Christian. He's trained these elders and he's saying wolves will rise up from among you, Right? We see a similar pattern with Jesus. Jesus uh, trained the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. One of them was a wolf, right? So we just know it's going to happen. There are going to be people, some of you are here right now, you're going to say, you know what, Jesus is just not really enough, and I want to show you a better way. And I want you to know now, long term, you're not welcome here. We'd love for you to continue with us and to grow in your faith and your hope in Jesus, but only if, if you are continuing to follow Jesus. So that's just a weird line that I, again, say as modern Christians, we're just not comfortable with because as modern Christians, we want everybody to be happy, you know, like, oh, we all love each other. There's no divisions. There's no lines, but there's a line. The line is if you want to follow Jesus with us, come on, let's go follow Jesus. 
Even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to come and and listen and understand and, and seek and ask hard questions, come on, we're happy for you to be with us. But if you're coming and saying you're going to follow Jesus, but then trying to take people the other direction, that, that's the line he's saying here. Watch out. He says, I appeal to you, watch out. Those who cause divisions, those that are trying to separate the sheep off, they create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you were taught. So he gives a measure here. What's the measure? Well, it's the, the doctrine that you were taught. It's, it's pretty simple. We trust Jesus. We're going to try to obey Jesus and, and do what he says, and we're going to follow him. He goes on, he says, avoid them, be, be watching out for them. Verse 18, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but they serve their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So these people often go after the weak, right? Those of you who are struggling, those of you who are having a hard time in life, you're going to be tempted to look at somebody else and say, maybe, maybe Jesus is not enough. Maybe I need what they have, Right? Maybe I need that self-help program, and maybe it's not just Jesus, but I need this other thing. And so when you're struggling, when you're weak, you're going to be tempted to have your hearts deceived by those who will appeal to you with flattery and smooth talk. False teachers always sound great, right? That's the dangerous thing. Don't, Don't judge a speaker by how smooth their speaking is. Judge a speaker by how much they call you to Jesus. You see the difference there? Judge a speaker by how much they say, this is what the Bible says. Not, let me just tell you a story and you're going to think I'm awesome, right? So two different kinds of speaking. And you have, to, you have to hold me accountable to that. You have to hold our leaders accountable to that. Dave, are you saying what's in the text? Or are you just giving me a great idea? And it's your job to help us be a stronger church by holding us accountable, testing what we say by scripture. Don't just say, oh, I'll just believe anything he says because he's in charge. We love the opportunity to be your shepherd. We love that privilege that we have. If you're listening to a teacher, you know, we have this, modern technology where you can be reading all kinds of articles and listening to all kinds of podcasts from other teachers in other places, and that can be great. But if, if you're unsure and you're questioning, like, is this okay or is this weird? Come talk to us. Not because we're infallible and we know everything and we want to control your lives, but that's just the privilege that we have as shepherds and leaders of the church is it's our job to lead you to green pastures, right? To lead you more to Jesus. And so we'd love to walk through that with you. Um, often we can't just say automatically, oh, he's terrible. I mean, sometimes we'll just, we'll walk with you and we'll say, well, yeah, let me listen to that. And we could help you learn discernment yourself. Like, okay, well, let's test that according to the scriptures and see if that's what the scripture says and try to help you develop those discernment uh, gifts and those discernment qualities in your own life. Avoid those that would lead you away from Jesus. Avoid those that would cause divisions and try to separate the people of God. Avoid those who through smooth talk and flattery appeal to your appetites instead of appealing your desire to follow Jesus. Um, so what does that look like in our own life? Uh, just being wise, being careful. Again, we don't want to go overboard and say we're going to separate, separate, separate. We want to be friends of sinners. We want to be marked as a people who love outsiders, who love people that don't know Jesus, who love people that don't live like us. But 1 Corinthians 5 is clear that there's this, there's this difference with people that call themselves believers. We hold people to a different standard if they call themselves believers. If you say you follow Jesus, I'm going to expect you to walk with Jesus. But if you don't, man, I'm going to expect you to do your own thing, live a different kind of lifestyle than me, and I'm going to try to love you where you are. Two different ways of approaching people. The last thing that we want to look at here is that the gospel glorifies God. The gospel glorifies God. I went back and forth trying to decide how to to name this last section. It's the section we read in the beginning. Uh, The gospel glorifies God, and what we see here is that the gospel is the thing that shows us 
and strengthens us by showing us that God is enough. But it also, in that process, shows that God is great. It's a really interesting paradigm. God is glorified by humbling himself to serve us and give us life on the cross, right? And that comes into some of the verses. Actually, I want to go back a little bit to the previous section, the, the camp song verse, verse 20. Look at that one again. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The gospel is our hope that, that Jesus is keeping the promise that God made in Genesis 3.15. Do y'all remember in Genesis 3.15, it was the fall where Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God. And God's talking to the serpent and God's telling the serpent, someday a son of Eve is going to crush your head. And that's, that's what this is talking about, right? Now it's coming full circle. And we're told, as those who are in Christ, we are also dragon slayers. We are also going to overcome evil. We're going to overcome sin and brokenness in this world. We're going to overcome Satan through what Jesus has accomplished. Read it one more time. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Jesus ultimately crushed Satan on the cross, and there will be this final reckoning at the end of all time. But God says there's a sense in which that's under your feet. That's your foot on the head of evil. God wants to involve us in his work against evil in this world. So it's ultimately through Jesus, but God, by faith, we're in Jesus. We're a part of what he's doing. If you back up at verse 19, he says, your obedience is known to all, so I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. We have this beautiful picture here of obedience and God blessing them and saying, I see God's already doing this in your life. So he's praising them. Again, going back to what we said in that previous section, you want to see what God's doing in people's life and say, well done. I see the obedience in your life. I'm encouraging you in Christ because we all need more Christ, but I see that God's already doing good things in your life. So now he starts talking about this this benediction in verse 25. Starting in verse 25, he says, now him to him who is able to strengthen you, and then skip down to the end of verse 27. He says, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. So this is a run-on sentence, right? Paul, uh, they had their own grammar rules in Greek, right? So Paul likes run-on sentences. Your teacher might not like that in English class, but Paul likes to do that sometimes. So he starts it in verse 25, to him, he's saying, to him, be glory forever and ever, right? He's starting at verse 25, he's ending at verse 27. So to him who can strengthen you, then at verse 27, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Glory is giving weight and honor and greatness to God, saying, God, you're awesome. The Old Testament, it literally meant heaviness. So you were saying, God has this heaviness, this bigness, this substantialness, this gravitas. And that's what the word glory meant in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it has also kind of a connotation of like uh, light, right? Awesomeness, power, something emanating out. And so it's just the awesomeness of God. So when you say, I'm glorifying God, you're saying, God is awesome. And how do we glorify God? Well, we glorify God through the gospel. Continue there in verse 25. It says, he's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So God does the work by being God, Right? God strengthens you. God establishes you because God is God. And God can do that, right? He does that through his Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, we're told that the Holy Spirit gives us new life when we're born again. He, he wakes us up. But the means by which he does this is through the preaching of Jesus. 
by us seeing and savoring that God is for us in Christ, that on the cross your sin was forgiven, and through the resurrection you now have life, so that when God looks at you, He, he delights in you, and He loves you, and He's pleased with you. Uh, don't drift to thinking, I'm not enough. Rest in the reality that Jesus was enough, that you're enough in Christ by faith in what He's done for you. So the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and made known to all nations. I want to pick on this phrase for just a minute. He says it's this mystery that was secret, but now it's revealed to all the nations. In the first century, there were a lot of mystery religions. Uh, The way we would describe that is we would say a secret society. Any of you have a clubhouse, maybe when you were a little boy and you had like a he-man woman haters club, right? Any of you have that? I hope not. That's terrible. You shouldn't do that. But the little rascals, they had a thing like that, right? Or you might have had some kind of little secret club and you had a secret handshake and you had like a secret way to do things, right? A password. Um, and you couldn't get in unless you had this secret, secret way in. There were a lot of cults in the first century that operated that way. They were called mystery cults. And they had secret rituals and you had to be initiated into these secret cults. What's interesting is the New Testament takes this word mystery and turns it upside down, right? He-Man Woman Haters Club is a club where these little boys are saying, hey, we're, you know, we're better than girls. We're, you know, we're going to say that there's something inherent in us that makes us better than other people. Basically, every mystery cult does that. They're saying, we're the secret society. We know the secret handshake. We've done the secret rituals, and that makes us better than all you other people, right? The gospel turns that upside down and says, no, none of you are better than other people. We're all united in our sin, and Jesus gives grace and gives forgiveness to all humanity, all the nations, it says, right? This is now revealed to everyone. So what was concealed is now revealed in Jesus. So there's all these first century secret societies that would have wanted to walk up to Paul and say, Paul, I think you're doing it wrong, right? Like, Paul, you can't just indiscriminately offer this secret to everyone. It's got to be a secret, right? You got to keep it a mystery or you'll ruin the whole club. But, but Jesus says, give me the, the lame and the outcast, and the outsider, and the broken, and those are the ones that I want to come in. So he just turns the whole thing upside down and says, this mystery is revealed. This secret is out there, and anyone can come in through Christ. He says, it's been disclosed, it's made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. This sums up the the beauty of what Paul's been saying all along. He said, often, Religious people think that we can please God because of our obedience, but the obedience of faith is recognizing that we can't please God on our own, and we can only please God by faith in Jesus. If we have faith in Jesus, then he delights in us as if we were his very own son, and because of that, now we obey. There's two kinds of obedience. Most religions teach, obey, do enough good things, and God will be forced to bless you. But Christianity says, trust that God is pleased with you in Christ. Because of that, now obey. Two different views of obedience. Are you obeying to impress God? Are you obeying because God has impressed you and given you faith to see that his son is for you in Christ? So Paul says, so obedience faith is now unrolling through the gospel. Verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The picture I got when I think of glorifying God is I think about the moon. Uh, This is a picture of a dark but moonlit night. I know it's hard to see 
in a bright room, but just a couple of days ago, I was camping with my son, and it was a really bright night. When you're away from the city lights and the moon is bright, you can see, right? When there's significant darkness and a bright moon, it makes a big difference. And God calls us to that kind of difference making in a, in a dark and broken world. We live in a scary world, and God wants to shine through us. And if you know how the solar system works, I don't know a whole lot, but I know a little bit, the moon has no light of its own, right? It's not like phosphorescent, it's not glowing cheese, but it's actually a big reflector, right? It's reflecting the sun to us. The sun has all the light, and the sun bounces its light off the moon. And there's a similar dynamic for us in our lives as we walk around in this world. We are to reflect the glory of God. And we best reflect the glory of God when we're submitted to his gospel, the obedience of faith, when we trust him and we're walking in newness, not thinking we can do it on our own strength, but believing that he's done it for us, then we can actually begin to love each other and we can actually begin to serve each other. Then we have something to give. We step out in faith. Well, as we think about this whole concept of the gospel being A to Z, we remember at the beginning, you know, Paul talked about this gospel is the power of God unto salvation in chapter one. Now he's ending with it again. It is still the power of God to strengthen you. It's not just the entryway into the Christian life, but it's what strengthens and establishes you and keeps you going in the Christian life. I want us to come back to the, the preaching of Jesus himself, right? Jesus is the one that we hope in. And this is what Jesus says about himself at the end of this book we call the Bible. Revelation 21, he says, it is done. And I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end. Alpha and omega are A and Z in the Greek alphabet. So I am the alpha omega. I am the A and Z, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Referencing Isaiah 55. And the rest of this is uh, referencing Isaiah 44. He who overcomes will inherit these things, the new world. And I will be his God and he will be my son. I want to encourage you, if, if you haven't caught anything else, catch this, that not only is the gospel, the good news of a Jesus for you, your entrance into the Christian life, but it's what will sustain you every day. God is for you in Christ. He's given himself to you. We will inherit through him. We will be his sons and daughters by faith. Let me pray for us and we'll respond and, and worship together. God, thank you for the good news of Jesus being for us. We pray that you would sustain us every day by this hope that you would remake us, that you would make us new. You would help us to walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.